What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? It's Mike. And this is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. And welcome to our second official episode. We're very excited to bring this to you guys. And uh, this episode, we're going to be breaking down the NBA playoffs, which are kind of happening right now. And we'll get into why I said kind of. But yeah, we're very excited to see everything that's going to happen with the NBA playoffs. And uh, we're going to break it down into a few different segments. And I'll let Mike go ahead and tell you what those are. I'm super hype about it. NBA playoffs is always my favorite time of year. I always look forward to late May, mid-June. It's just a month, month and a half of straight-up postseason basketball. Super excited. So first thing we're going to talk about, like you said, kind of happening right now. We've got the play-in tournament. This is only the second year that they've been doing it. And so since it's all still pretty new to the NBA, we're going to give our thoughts on that. Then we're going to talk about three players each that we think are going to be X-Factor players going into the playoffs or throughout the playoffs. We're going to talk about some guys that we think are going to be under a lot of pressure with the playoffs going on. We're going to each make a bold prediction. We're going to introduce a new segment that I'm really excited about featuring what tends to be my catchphrase over the past few years now. That's disrespectful. We're just going to let you see what happens there. And as always, we're going to put some people on the hot seat. For sure. So we're going to start off, uh, like Mike said, with some of our thoughts on the play-in tournament. And uh, I have some strong opinions on this one. Uh, I'm going to let Mike go first and kind of give his his thoughts. And then I'll kind of follow up after that. All right. I'll just say it. I think the play-in tournament's great for basketball. So obviously, I like it. You know, I understand that every year there are going to be four teams that hate it, right? Your seven and eight seed in the East and West are going to be like, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? We should be in the playoffs. Case in point, LeBron this year is like, whoever thought of that should be fired. Last year, didn't really see him complaining because he wasn't in danger of being eliminated via the play-in tournament. But just to recap how it works real quick. So your seven and eight seeds play one game. The winner of that game takes the seven seed. The loser of that game faces the winner of the ninth and 10th seed playing one game against each other. And the winner of that game becomes the eighth seed. And then the playoffs begin. So reasons I love it. First of all, if your team is, let's say 10th, 11th, 12th, even mid to late regular season, your team still has something to play for. And so your team is extra motivated um, it's more like worth it for you as a fan to watch the games because your team might be trying to make a playoff push. Because if you can win those two games, then all of a sudden your team is in the playoffs. So it motivates these lower-seeded teams. It also motivates the teams that are around that five or six seed because now it's not like, uh, as long as we're like the seven seed, we're still in the playoffs. Now that six seed is what you're really aiming for instead of the eighth seed because the sixth seed represents safety. And so where you have teams that might be resting players, um, might be participating in load management, all of a sudden they have higher incentive to put their better players on the court for longer periods of time. And what this is creating to me is 
a superior product because the stars are still playing in these games. The stars care more about the games because there's more riding on each individual game. And it addresses an issue that the NBA has had more than a lot of other sports. And, and that's that fans often feel like the regular season doesn't matter that much. This puts a little more emphasis on those regular season games towards the end of the season. So I absolutely hate the play-in tournament. I'm going to use a different sport uh, to kind of, as a kind of comparison. So I'm a big baseball guy. A little while ago, a few years ago, I guess maybe 10 years ago, something like that, they introduced a second wild card game where the two teams that are just outside of the playoffs will play each other in one game to determine who's going to make the playoffs and who's not. Uh, obviously, b- baseball has a 162-game season. Basketball, it's about half of that. This year, it was 72 games. My thought on the play-in tournament is that if it all comes down to one game, then why even bother playing all the other 72 games? And when you look at, for instance, if we look at the Western Conference this year, we had uh, four t- or three teams. Yeah, we had three teams that all went 42 and 30. The Mavs, the Lakers, and the Trailblazers. And just due to some tiebreakers and things, the Lakers were the team that missed out on the fifth and sixth seed and were dropped into the seventh seed, so they had to go in the play-in tournament. Now you look at the Spurs, who were 33 and 39. So that's 42 and 30, and 33 and 39, and yet they both have a chance to make the playoffs because of this play-in tournament. To me, that's detracting from the value of all those regular season wins that the Lakers piled up that the Spurs with a sub 500 record can now make it in the playoffs just because they win two games. Obviously the Spurs lost. So that point is kind of moot, but just from a hypothetical standpoint, I don't agree or understand why winning two games in a sport where the rest of the playoffs is seven game series why now all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, if you win two games and you get to make the playoffs and this other team that had a much better record than you over the course of the entire season now doesn't get to make it. Um, and for a, for a sport like football, having it come down to one game makes sense because you only play one game a week. You only play 16, now 17 games a season. But the NBA, it's a lot more about, it's kind of in the middle between baseball and football and that. It it is a longer season, and it does take a toll. And for me, there there is that element of load management and the regular season not mattering that much. But you still have teams fighting for positioning. Like, nobody wants to play the number one or number two seed versus the number three or number four seed. So you're still trying to fight for that. And I mean, I get what you're saying with like, it's more exciting, more teams have stuff to play for. But I just think for the teams that have better records in that seventh and eighth spot, it just isn't fair to those guys. So I get what you're saying about like it detracting from the regular season, especially with baseball, like 162 games you play all regular season just for it to not matter because of one game is crazy to me. Um, One thing the NBA does a lot is look at the college basketball um, or look at college basketball and say, you know, let's use this as a testing ground for certain things, or what can we take from 
college basketball to make our product better. And I think one thing they might be exploring is, or like analyzing, I guess, is the appeal of March Madness. And such a big like appeal of that is that it's all one game at a time. There are no series. And so there's this aspect of anything can happen, which um, really, you know, shakes things up a lot. That's why you have so many upsets. And so when you get into your like seven and eight for, um, you know, whoever loses that game is going to play potentially the 10th seed. Right. And so the, just the thought of like, Oh, the 10th seed can make it in. Uh, that's an interesting new approach to it. Um, the reason I don't think it really bothers me is if you're the eight seed to me, um, this is really your chance to prove that you belong to me. I know everyone can have a bad game, and that's sort of a big part of the counter-argument, right? The reason I love the NBA so much is because it deals with series, and so the better team usually comes out on top. Um, and so it's harder to judge based on like the result of one game. But with that being said, this is the game that matters most, right? Say, let's take the Warriors, for example, because by the time this... Uh, podcast is released the lakers have beaten the warriors already but we haven't seen the warriors face the grizzlies yet so if you're the warriors you're the eight seed you lost to the lakers and now you have to play the grizzlies if you lose to the grizzlies it tells me okay when it mattered most so far the grizzlies won back-to-back games you lost back-to-back games your losing back-to-back games doesn't convince me that your series against the Jazz, the number one seed, was going to be all that interesting because in crunch time, you kind of dropped. That's not going to be like a 100% of like a consistent observation necessarily, but that's sort of my thought process. This is the time to prove that you belong, and so the teams that can step up when it matters are going to do that. I hear what you're saying. What I would say to that is it's still just two games. And in this case, you still have to face the Jazz, who had the best overall record in the NBA for the entire season. So realistically, the the chances of whoever made whoever ended up making that eighth seed, their chances of winning are still probably going to be pretty slim. It's still meaning that just because like you should be trying to win every game. So just because you lose the two at the end doesn't mean that like, for me, they shouldn't matter more than the games at the beginning of the season. Like the first week of the season should be the same as like the last week of the regular season before the playoffs. Because to me, it's all about making sure that you're trying your hardest every single game to win. And I understand that like some teams go go through injuries and some teams just get hot at the right time. And a lot of times that is the case. A team can get hot near the end of the season. They can carry that momentum all the way through. I just think that the play-in tournament, while I can understand that as far as drama and as far as getting more teams involved in the playoffs and stuff, that's that's a good thing. If we're at this point, why don't we just let everybody do the play-in tournament and then whoever wins the games gets to face the number one seed you know what i mean it's like there are very few there are 10 teams out of 30 that 
that aren't making the playoffs at all, and there are 20 that are. To me, that that number is too high. Like the playoffs should actually mean like making the playoffs should mean something, not just well we didn't make it, so now we're gonna be in the lottery and hopefully we can get a good player. The only other pro play in tournament point that I want to make is in the event of injury. I foresee at some point a team dealing with an injury to a star player as a result losing a lot of games in his absence player comes back in time to like win a couple more games at the end of the season because of that player's injury that team is the 10th seed example i'm thinking of is i mean it was pre-play-in but two years ago the lakers missed the playoffs in lebron's first season there because of the time that lebron missed at the end of the season there were i think six games where he could have played but they chose not to because at that point we're not going to get the eight seed. So let's rest them up for next year. Were the play in tournament a thing at that time, they actually would have been in playoff contention. And I'm not a LeBron fan by any means, but I think it's good for basketball to have LeBron in the playoffs. And so that's sort of like my, like that's my example right now that had that been a thing that year, then we would have had LeBron at least have an opportunity to make the playoffs, which is phenomenal for for ratings first of all because he's the most popular player on planet earth and if it creates a better round one or if he even makes a bigger playoff push out of it then great um then we're putting our best players our best teams our best product forward but that's a little bit more situational it's not going to be a one size fits all situation or one size fits every year situation right i mean Still, like the Lakers this year, they were missing AD and LeBron for a large portion of that, and that's the only reason why they were in the play-in tournament to begin with. And of course, they won against the league, against the Warriors, so they'll be able to make the actual playoffs. But to me, you know, everybody has injuries. The teams that aren't injured shouldn't be penalized just because the teams that do have injuries. You know, they shouldn't, those teams shouldn't just be able to have an extra chance just because they had injuries or because they, you know, for whatever reason, weren't performing as well as that they were capable of. And I honestly, as far as ratings go and stuff, like, I just think more about the teams, like the guys, the organizations that are fighting really hard to make the playoffs with obviously everybody's goal is to win the championship. I just kind of want fair it to be fair across the board. And we already know it's not because obviously some teams are going to be more attractive due to their market or due to the history of the franchise or whatever the case might be. So I guess I just want to reward the teams who play well, regardless of any of those other factors to be rewarded for that play during that regular season time and it not come down to just a couple games. But those are our thoughts on the play-in tournament. Let us know what you think and we'll be interested to hear kind of whose side you take on this because there are definitely points for for both sides but yeah so next segment we're going to be breaking down our each of our three x factors for the the rest of the playoffs so we're going to talk about three guys each that we think you should look at as x factors going into the playoffs so when we talk about x factors we're talking about not necessarily the best six players in the tournament but 
six guys that could really tilt the needle, really shape the fortunes of their teams. And so these are guys to look at as big impact makers. So, Dave, give me one of your guys that you think are going to be huge X-Factors this postseason. All righty, so my number three X-Factor is going to be Jason Tatum. So Jason Tatum is a guy who, coming into the league, uh, was viewed as a top talent, and pretty much every single year he has improved his game and gotten better and better. Uh, Now I would say he's on that brink of superstardom, and that was in full effect against the Wizards, where he dropped 50 and pretty much single-handedly beat them uh, in that play-in tournament to solidify their spot uh, as the number seven seed facing the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. So the reason why I picked Jason Tatum as an X-Factor is uh, if he can continue dropping 50 every game, which I understand is a big ask, but if he can keep producing at that level, then the Celtics have a chance, not a big chance. In fact, ESPN says that the the Celtics have about a 30% chance of winning that game or winning that series, I should say. I would probably agree with that. But if Tatum can take his game to that next level and do it in the postseason as well, then I think that the Celtics could actually challenge the Nets. Pretty much everybody knows the Nets are viewed as the fa- you know, if not the absolute favorite than one of the top two or three favorites to win the whole thing. So if the Celtics were to somehow pull off that upset, number one, I would love it because that meant that the Nets didn't even win one playoff series, even with all of their super team building, which would just be fantastic. But also, all of a sudden, that opens up the entire Eastern Conference side of the bracket, whereas everyone was thinking, well, it's probably going to come down to you know probably the Sixers and the Nets or or whatever the case might be. Now it's just way more wide open where you don't have this this huge team like the Nets, like this this big obstacle for every other team to overcome. All of a sudden they're out of the way. So at that point, it's it's anyone's game in, in terms of getting to the finals. So it's a big ask, but I think Tatum showed and in the last segment you were talking about, you know, who's gonna step up when it matters most. Tatum stepped up. They don't have Jalen Brown. Uh, Kemba Walker, love him, but he's not quite the same player that he was. Um, they have they have a couple other injuries as well. Like Robert Williams has been playing well, but he's dealing with an injury. They're not at full strength, but if Tatum can somehow will them over the line, then that will be a historic win uh, over a team that a lot of people are saying is the best team in the in the NBA. So that's why Jason Tatum is my number three. You know, given the injury to Jalen Brown, and just how stacked Brooklyn is, I'm shocked that like 30% seemed high to me. <laughs> like when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that I that's about twice as high as I would have given it, honestly. But I'll be rooting for it. Yeah, um, I think that would be a huge shakeup, and I would love it because you know pretty much all year that's all we've been hearing like, oh, it's gonna be Brooklyn in the finals. Brooklyn in the finals. Who's the biggest threat to Brooklyn in the East? Do they even have a chance? Blah 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 blah. It's like, this is just a, a chance to tell the media to just shut up. Like, let the playoffs happen. So I will be rooting for the Celtics. I Do I think it's going to happen? No. But 
what a what a story for Jason Tatum's career though that that would be for him to will his team past that talk about defeating the monster exactly that is the if he wasn't a superstar before he would be a superstar after 100% oh yeah um my number 3 is Chris Porzingis your friendly neighborhood unicorn so he's been averaging right around 20 points 9 rebounds a game this season and this is a player that's dealt with injuries for a lot of his career. He plays on the same team as Luca, who has been out of his mind for like two years now. Last season, the Clippers and Mavericks played each other, and the Clippers won in six. It was The series was tied 2-2, two to two, but then Porzing- Porzingis got hurt in game four and didn't play game five or game six. And so the Clippers won both of those games. And that was a series where a lot of people thought the Clippers were looking better. They lost, I think it was game one, on some questionable calls down the stretch. So there was no reason to think that the Clippers had it in the bag anyway. This is the rematch. Porzingis is healthy. Luka is still balling. The Mavericks look more like in sync with each other this year than they did last year. Um, I'm looking at players like Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke even. like This is, this team gels. And the Clippers have been inconsistent, to say the least. Um, I'm not convinced on the Clippers. And I don't know who the Clippers expect to guard Porzingis. Because the main guy doing it for the first like three and a half games last year was Montrez Harrell, who's not there anymore. So I think Porzingis, this is his opportunity to say, like, look, had I not gotten hurt, I don't know that y'all are winning that series. And I think now is our time to find out who's really going to win that series. A healthy Mavericks team or the Clippers? I just got to say, I'm surprised you didn't mention Jalen Brunson as one of the guys on the Mavericks who you, uh, who's been playing better this season. <laughs> He's been playing better this season. I choose to ignore his existence. <laughs> Understood. Uh, but no, I agree. I think... When he's healthy, which is obviously the big question always surrounding Porzingis, he is, like you said, he's a he is a unicorn. He is pretty much when he's on, very very difficult to stop on both ends. Um, maybe the Clippers try to use Abaka, but Abaka is uh, not. You know, he's not exactly the defender that he used to be either. So um, that will be an interesting matchup. My number two is going to be Ben Simmons. Uh, I think it's kind of easy to forget, at least for me, that Ben Simmons was the number one overall pick in 2016. Like that wasn't that long ago. Um, I feel like he's been in the league for a long time now. And interestingly enough, Ben Simmons is one of the more polarizing players in the entire league. I think defensively, he's continued to improve every single year. He's a guy who can guard all five positions. And I would be shocked if he wasn't on one of the NBA all-defensive teams this year. However, and this has been well-documented, but he can't shoot. Not only can he not shoot, he chooses not to shoot. And so what have the Sixers done? They've surrounded him with shooters. Embiid has been shooting the ball better. They brought in Danny Green. They brought in Seth Curry. And the, the front office is kind of looked at Ben Simmons and said, we are going to shape the roster around you to make up for your shortcomings in order for you to shine. 
And defensively, he's done that. And we, we say this all the time, defense shows up in the playoffs. But what I'll say, and I think this is more true than it ever has been, good offense beats good defense, especially in the playoffs because everybody tries a lot harder on defense. A regular season game, it's completely different than a playoff game in terms of intensity, on-ball defense, switching rotations, communication, all of that. And a team like the Sixers, they've got two of, of the best defenders in the game in Embiid and Simmons, and some other good defenders as well. Matisse Thibel, uh leading the the league, or at least close to leading the league in, in steals and, and blocks, at least per minute. Uh, Danny Green's is still a pretty good defender. Uh, Tobias Harris isn't terrible. Um, but the question still remains, can Ben Simmons be a plus on offense? Can he be the star that everybody wants him to be? You know, he was that number one overall pick. But this year, his offensive stats were down pretty much across the board. This was his worst season um, that he's had in the NBA offensively. So will he prove everyone wrong? Will he... Will he show that the front office was right to build this roster around him, even though he definitely has his limitations. Because if he's on and he plays how he can, the Sixers could win the whole thing. Yep. An interesting statistic. No one has created more open three-point shots to his teammates this year than Ben Simmons. No one's. I, th- I think he also leads the league in assists to three-point shots. So... He has the potential to set up those three-point shots to the to the shooters that you alluded to. Um, whenever I think about Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, I think about how like every year when they inevitably lose in the playoffs, we hear the same question: Can Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons coexist, right? Or do the Sixers need to trade one of them and focus on the other? And I feel like the clock's ticking eventually you got to figure that out right like they brought in a new coach in doc rivers and now it's his turn it's his turn instead of brett brown to see if he can make it work and ben simmons has got to show up like you said if he does like he can be the engine that brings his team like into the finals it's certainly possible especially with joel Embiid playing mvp caliber basketball (laughs) but he limits himself by not even learning how to shoot. I, I will say, this year he's taken more three-pointers than he ever has. Previously, in his first three years, he was shooting 0.0 out of 0.1 three-point attempts all three years before now. This year, he made 0.1 out of 0.2, ended up being 30%. Um, so... He is taking more threes, technically. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's one of the questions that everyone will always ask is why doesn't he just shoot them and add that to his game? I don't know. But either way, who's your number two? My number two is Drew Holiday. Let me say I loved seeing Milwaukee go out and get him in the offseason. They traded Eric Bledsoe along with other assets to get Drew Holiday. And I think this shows, first of all, that they're willing to go out and make a change because this was a Milwaukee team that at that point had been the number one seed in the East back-to-back years. They were dominant all throughout both regular seasons. 
and they're saying, okay, no, in the playoffs, it's not enough. We need to change up something. And so they bring in Drew Holiday, who I think is one of the more underrated players in the NBA. We're talking about an elite perimeter defender, a solid playmaker out of the backcourt, whose shooting tends to improve on a year-to-year basis. He's a great locker room presence. Everyone that's ever played with him raves about him in the locker room. The reason that they bring Drew Holiday in is because they learned they couldn't trust Eric Bledsoe to make plays out of the backcourt. And this was on full display when they lost the Heat last season in the playoffs, um, despite the Heat being underdogs. Part of why they lost was they just exposed Giannis. They basically dared him to try and make plays from the backcourt. They dared him to shoot. They funneled him in, as Toronto showed that you can do with him previously. Uh, They funneled him into Bam Adebayo. They hounded him on ball. And that made the Bucks go, no, no, we need someone in the backcourt that can handle these responsibilities and take some of that load off of Giannis. Now, this season, for the first time in three years, the Bucks aren't the number one seed. They're the number three seed. And I'm not panicking because Coach Bud has said all year, the reason that we're losing more regular season games is because we're trying new things. We're working on getting Drew Holiday more integrated into the offense. We're changing up our schemes. We're prepping for the playoffs. Okay, this is where you prove it. You are admitting to us that you're just using the regular season as a warm-up, as a testing ground for the playoffs, which, you know, nothing wrong with that to me. You're going to make the playoffs, and that's when it matters. That's when you want to put your best foot forward. But you've been saying to us all year, Hey, Drew Holiday is going to be what puts us over the hump. Drew Holiday is what we're banking on. We went out and got him. He's going to be a big piece to like take us there, right? He's going to take the load off Giannis. This is his time to prove that they were right. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I think Drew Holiday is one of the more underappreciated players in the NBA because he can offer you that defensive presence on the perimeter. He can be your primary ball handler, but also he can play off ball. And he can be a spot-up shooter as well if you need him to. So I think that was a really smart move by the Bucs. Um, and we'll see if it pays off. Um, I think, and we'll talk a little bit more about players under or players or coaches under pressure later on, but the clock is ticking a little bit here for the Bucs. They have an MVP, a former MVP in Giannis. They've got a couple of really solid co-stars I guess and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday they have a really solid team uh guys really like playing for coach Bud uh obviously he's had success previously but when you have a team that that, that's that good and that's been together for this long now you need to start seeing results and uh I guess we'll just have to see if this year is the year where they get over the hump and make it to the finals now we've gotten to my number one player the guy who I think is going to have potentially the most impact on how the playoffs shake out. And that guy is none other than Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. And I think for me, the the reason why I chose Donovan as my number one is because he's had this injury for the past few weeks now. And we're not sure. He says he's going to be able to play in game one of the playoffs. Uh, By the time this comes out, you would have seen if he did or not. But In my opinion, Donovan Mitchell is going to be the reason, either the reason why the Jazz potentially make the finals or the reason why they don't. 
the Jazz are obviously a very good team. They had the best record in the NBA. And for a decent chunk of that time, they were missing Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, they got Rudy Gobert, who may win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, they've got really solid players across the board. Uh, Joe Ingles is a really good player. Jordan Clarkson's really stepped up his game this year as well, uh, coming off the bench for them. But when it comes down to it, Donovan Mitchell is going to be the guy who's going to make the big shot. They're going to give the ball to Donovan Mitchell in crunch time when it's coming down to the wire the last two minutes of the game. Who's going to take the shot? It's going to be Mitchell. It could potentially be Clarkson, but I just don't trust that to happen. Um, and I think they really need him in order to get through those big moments because you you need that that star. We said it before, good offense be- beats good defense. And the Jazz are going to play good defense. Quinn Snyder is, in my opinion, probably the most underappreciated coach in the league. Every single year, he puts the Jazz in a position to succeed. And they don't necessarily have... I mean, Donovan Mitchell's a star. Rudy Gobert finally was an all-star as well. But, like, they don't have these, like, insanely big-name players, and yet they're always put in a position to succeed. I think Donovan Mitchell can be the guy to put them over the top. We'll just have to see if he can overcome his his injury uh, in order to do that. If you hadn't said it, I was going to Quinn Snyder, the hidden gem of the NBA. Does not get enough credit for the work that he puts in. Also... Former Hawks assistant. There you go. Oh, had to had to let him escape to Utah, but but no, I like that pick. Um, I think about Donovan Mitchell. I think about that playoff series that went to seven games with the Nuggets last postseason. That was one of the best first round series that I can ever think of. Um, him and Jamal Murray just going at it. Um, and I think you know as long as he can get over that injury, like you were talking about, I don't think there's any reason to think that he won't put on a show again. He's got a great supporting cast around him. Like you mentioned Jordan Clarkson, you mentioned Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, Royce O'Neal's playing well. Mike Conley is Mike Conley, right? He's pretty much been like what you see is what you get from Mike Conley. And it's been that way his entire career, right? He's not going to wow you necessarily, but that is a solid player, a leader, veteran presence now defender like that is a good guy to have on your side um i just love the way the jazz are constructed i love the way they play for each other i love the way they play for their coach that is a good one seed Uh um and it's refreshing that it's the jazz and not the lakers or whatever team durant is on or whatever my number one not that he's my number one because of this sure oh no no my favorite player in basketball (laughs) Jimmy Butler. The Heat go where Jimmy Butler goes. I feel like Jimmy Butler got a bit of a bad rep for being like a negative uh, presence, like especially in Minnesota. What I'll say to that real quick is that put anybody in Minnesota for that long, and uh, I guess you can probably understand why he was feeling that way. Yep. Um, and when, when it came out, like his gripes with the Timberwolves were like, oh, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't really care about winning as long as he's getting his numbers. Like this was what he was saying about Towns. He was saying that Wiggins doesn't really care about 
uh, the wins as much as he cares about like the contract and his stats, right? So he's like, I'm here to win. Jimmy Butler is about winning. Um, I thought like going back like two years, it was foolish for the Sixers to let him go. I don't, whatever he wants, give him. Because um, it was clear in playoff time when he was in Philly, yeah, you had Ben Simmons, you had Joel Embiid. They were looking to Jimmy to lead them to the promised land. He goes to Miami. We get to the playoffs, and we see the the Jimmy Butler effect. He is a culture changer. He he makes guys want to win. We we had a team in the finals last year, which I was rooting for them all all the postseason. But that team that he brought to the finals was Bam Adebayo, who's a beast, Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, my man Duncan Robinson is looking like a stud on this Jimmy Butler-led team. We got, like, Jay Crowder. Like, you, and then he's bringing him, them up against LeBron and Anthony Davis and playoff Rondo. And Jimmy Butler willed them to six games. They win game three and game five. I'm just going to read you just briefly. Game three, Jimmy Butler. 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. Game five, Jimmy Butler, 35 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists. Like, he wills his team to victory. The issue with Jimmy Butler is he's averaging 21.5 points a game, around seven rebounds, around seven assists, about two steals a game. Two steals is really good. But the 21.5 is what I'm looking at, which is solid. But in today's NBA, we look at that as like your second option, right? It's his consistency. What we saw in the finals last year was that on any given day, he plays like a top five player. On any given day, he plays like the 28th best player in basketball. So when I say the Heat go where Jimmy Butler goes, I mean, if he's putting out these performances, I don't know that there are teams that the Heat can't beat. But when he's not, I don't know that there aren't teams that can't beat the Heat. Jimmy Jimmy Butler, to me, is my favorite player. He's the ultimate competitor. Any interview you watch of him, he gives respect to his opponents, but then he says, I'm not afraid of them, though. We're going to go out and play them, and we're going to go out like we can beat them, which I have so much respect for. I don't think there's any reason to bet against Jimmy Butler. I think he's the type of team that can overcome um, odds stacked against him, but he's got to be the one to go out and do it because he motivates that team to go beyond their expectations as well i think that's the it's the perfect example of a player coming in and when we see this a decent amount of the time is a player coming in and not fitting the culture not fitting in and their talent not being able to carry over because they don't have that chemistry with their team the heat already had a pretty defined culture going they bring in jimmy butler and all of a sudden, he's like the king there. And he's the he's the missing piece in that puzzle where all of a sudden, that's exactly what they needed to reinforce a star player who also has that grinded out mindset. It's just a, a match made in heaven for those for that franchise and that player. By all accounts, they all love him. He loves them. And it's nice to see that. I think that the Heat, we can't bet against them after last year, of course. Uh, I think it may be a little more difficult this year. We did have the the bubble, and I don't think that you can say 
that that didn't affect anything because I'm it 100% affected everything the bubble last year for the playoffs but the Heat are definitely one of those teams they may not be a, a top two seed but they're definitely the team that nobody wants to face and I'm interested to see because so I had Jimmy Butler as one X factor Drew Holiday as another the first round is the rematch between the Bucks and the Heat and so we got two of mine going against each other will Milwaukee's plan with Drew Holiday work Will Jimmy Butler overcome? That's what I'm looking forward to seeing in the next week or two. So those were our six X factors that you should be watching in the playoffs this season. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be naming two people each that are going to be under pressure uh, for this 2020 NBA playoffs. So with the playoffs starting, this is the high pressure situation, pressure buildup of the NBA. Obviously, based on expectations for various players, coaches, what have you, some guys are going to feel more of that pressure than others. So Dave, tell me, who should really be feeling a ton of pressure right now? Well, uh, and I, I kind of cheated. It's supposed to be like we're supposed to pick one person, but in this case, I, I picked three players. Of course, it's the big three of the Brooklyn Nets, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. These guys are under immense pressure. The Nets are in championship or bust mode. Anything less than an NBA championship is going to be a disappointment for the year. I don't care that Durant's been out injured. Harden's been out injured. Kyrie's been out. We don't know. With all of that being said, the excuses have run out. The playoffs, this is the time for these three to go on the court. And if they all play to the best of their ability... I will be surprised if they don't make the finals and potentially win because they've got three arguably top 10 players in the NBA on the same team. I mean, if we're talking offensively, then definitely three of the top 10 offensive players in the NBA. But all of them have questions to answer. You know, will Kyrie be focused? He said, my my only focus is in basketball. You know, he's he's been out for you know, personal reasons about the, you know, pretty much the entire season. Now that it's the playoffs, is he going to have that focus? Is he going to be able to focus on basketball and play his best uh, during the playoffs? Will Harden's hamstring, you know, hold up? He's been struggling with that for a while. He, he's played a little bit um, in a, a couple games before the playoffs. We know what a game changer he can be when he's healthy but hamstrings can be pretty tough and they can really stay around for a lot longer than some other injuries. So if he ends up going down again, um, how will that affect the team? And as far as KD goes, can he be a leader? Can he bring the team together? Um, I think he is the best player on that team. Can he be the top guy? Can he be the leader for a team? And I don't think so. But maybe this can be his opportunity to prove me wrong and prove everyone else wrong. Um, obviously, we've seen him, the little the snake emoji next to his name, right? Um, but this would be his opportunity, I think, to like, can he, especially if you know Kyrie ends up not playing as well or missing games, or if, if Harden ends up going down injured, can he step up and be the guy for the Nets and still take them to the finals and to the championship. So there are a lot of questions surrounding this team. 
and the expectations on them is probably the highest out of any team. Um, so I think these three guys all coming together, forming the super team, they've got to be under, if not the most, then close to being the most pressure out of anybody in the NBA playoffs this year. As far as the team goes, I couldn't agree more. There's not a team that's under more pressure than the Nets, and they did it to themselves. Um, I don't want to hear anything about, oh, the media has been putting too much pressure. No. When you elect to make a team out of three, like you said, top 10 offensive players in basketball, then you better go out there and produce. Um, So I'm not using this necessarily, but one player I was going to pick for this was James Harden. And the reason I was going to single him out was I feel like Kevin Durant is the type of player that you could add to any team in the NBA ever. And it's only a positive effect. Kevin Durant only brings positive influence on the basketball court. Kyrie Irving, we've seen him be clutch in the finals, right? We've seen him hit the shot that delivered a ring to LeBron. We haven't seen that from Harden. Rather, we've seen him fail to lead a team to the finals where he's like the best player on the team, right? Or where he has a major role. The only time he's been to the finals is coming off the bench in Houston, or sorry, in OKC, where Kevin Durant was the best player on that team. So the only one on this team that has a history of underperforming or, hey, choking in the playoffs is James Harden. Will he be the reason that they don't make the finals or don't win the championship? So that's sort of my big question mark as far as the Nets go, but I completely agree that that team is under all of this pressure because they've elected to put the pressure on themselves. I'm looking at Paul George, speaking of choking in the playoffs, because the last time we saw Paul George in the playoffs, he was hitting the side of the backboard on his three-point attempt in Game 7 as they lost to the Nuggets, after being up 3-1 to one on the Nuggets, Paul George in that Game 7, for being the second best player on that team, 10 points on 4 of 16 shooting. 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 5 turnovers. That's your playoff Paul George. Why does this matter? It matters because the year before, the Raptors won the championship with Kawhi Leonard. And pretty much the only reason he came to the Clippers was to play with Paul George. In fact, it came out that he would have stayed in Toronto had they been willing to deal Pascal Siakam for Paul George. Kawhi, this is your boy, and he's letting you down. Is he going to let you down again because you were able to lead Toronto to a championship? I know the circumstances are different, but I don't see Pascal going 4 of 16 in a Game 7. Kawhi wasn't amazing in that Game 7, but he wasn't like this. When... When that game was over, I was looking at Paul George. He blew it. And this was the guy that Kawhi like intentionally came to LA to play with. You gotta be you gotta step up to the plate. If one of the best players on planet Earth jumps ship to play with you, make it worth his while. For sure. And I think Paul George is one of those guys who some people might say is you know, a superstar, I think others, and to be fair, he did have that horrible leg injury and he was able to come back from that and still be a a great player in the NBA. So he does, 
deserve some credit. But you're right. When you're handpicked, literally handpicked by Kawhi to say like, okay, you and me, buddy, we're going to try to run LA and go up against the Lakers and you don't hold up your end of the bargain. It's like, it's like any, any partnership. It's like if you and I, you know, it's like, let's say I handpicked you to do this podcast and you just consistently were like dropping the ball and, you know, didn't have anything, any good stuff to say or whatever then that has me over here being like, dang, why didn't I pick somebody else to do this podcast? Obviously, that's not the case, but you know what I mean. It's like any any type of partnership, like both sides need to contribute. And it's the person who was handpicked that has way more pressure on them because Kawhi is still going to be Kawhi. He's still going to do his thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll see if Paul George can, can handle it. And I think the Clippers are almost a forgotten team this year with the the Jazz having the best record, the Suns having, in my opinion, the most surprising season of any team this year. Obviously, the Sixers, we've got the Bucks, we've got the Lakers, of course. We got Jokic playing MVP caliber ball in Denver despite the Jamal Murray injury. That's true. You know, Damian Lillard always makes headlines. Of course, the Knicks finally being in the playoffs this year. Yeah, we've, there there are a lot of different teams that have been talked about. I think the Clippers have kind of gone under the radar. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can perform and if they can make the finals again and specifically what Paul George will do. So speaking of the Suns, my other guy under pressure is none other than CP3, Chris Paul himself. The point god, as some people might call him. Here's the thing about Chris Paul. He's 36 years old. He's been to one conference finals. And yet, all he ever cares about is winning. In fact, a lot of his teammates have said he cares so much about winning that it actually like drives everyone else insane because he cares so much. And yet when it comes down to it, his teams never get over the hump. They never make it. And his window is closing very quickly. Uh, He's played really well this year. Realistically, how many more years can we expect of, you know, all-star caliber basketball from Chris Paul? Granted, his game has never really been about his athleticism. So I think he'll age, he'll continue to age better than, you know, somebody like Westbrook, for instance, whose game is pretty much defined by his athleticism. But still, you look at Chris Paul, he's the the undisputed leader of that team. Uh, He's been a leader on every team he's ever been on. And as I said earlier, I think the Suns have had the most surprising season out of any team in the league. No one expected the Suns the Suns to have the number two seed, not the Clippers, not the Lakers. Even a team like the Blazers or the Nuggets were looking good this year. Who could have expected the Suns to have the second best record in the West, which is you know definitely the, the harder conference of the two. Chris Paul will absolutely make the Hall of Fame. No, no doubts about it. But will he be one of those players to add to the list, who never won the finals, never got a championship, never got a ring. Or potentially, he may never even play in the finals to begin with. And this is one of the best point guards, realistically, to ever play the game as far as a consistent stats and regular season performance. But 
as we all know, and we've mentioned this several times throughout this podcast, the regular season is all well and good, but the playoffs are what counts. The playoffs is where everybody's trying their absolute hardest. That's where you put up or shut up. And uh, so far, Chris Paul has been pretty quiet in his career. Chris Paul, first ballot Hall of Famer. Top five, top six point guard of all time. I'm I'm sitting here thinking about them. You got your Magic Johnson, you know, Nash kid, Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, and then Chris Paul. Somewhere in that order. Or those six, basically, in that order. Unbelievable career. Short of championships. What I'm hearing from you is pressure on pressure is on Chris Paul right now as it relates to his legacy, his career, right? Yeah, you got the stats, but can you get the championship? Can you get the team over the hump? 100%. Especially, I'll just say this, especially when your whole thing is being a leader and being that the leader of the team and being all about winning and having that drive. And yet, like that's your shtick. And yet you haven't actually won anything. You know, like what does that actually mean when people look back in 20, 30, 50 years and look at Chris Paul's career? Are they going to say, well, he was a solid statistical performer, but he couldn't really get it done when it mattered. I feel like Chris Paul has had it rough over his career. Uh, you, you play in New Orleans off to start your career, often not with great players. Then you you go to the Clippers, who don't know a thing about winning as a franchise, as an organization. You get Lob City going. Then you have injuries to your teammates. Then you go to Houston, where you get hurt against in that series against the Warriors, so you can't come back and play. And in your absence, the team puts on one of the worst shooting performances in NBA history. What was it? Three of 29 from three or something like that. So that's unlucky. Um. Also, you know, so you know what I just thought of as well? So, you know, that whole like infamous trade that that got vetoed where Chris Paul would have gone to the Lakers from New Orleans. What's actually hilarious is that Anthony Davis actually got what he wanted and went to the Lakers and then won a championship. It's just, it's, it's kind of like, I just, I, didn't, I just thought about that just being another slap in the face to Chris Paul. Like, yep, this is what potentially you could have had. Uh, but now the next great player coming out of New Orleans actually goes at, goes ahead and gets what you always wanted. Sometimes I look at these, these transactions that are allowed to go through. And I think back to that, like y'all wouldn't let Kobe and Chris Paul join forces. But you'll let Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving hang out together in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, But yeah, I think had that trade gone through, yeah, Chris Paul would have at least two rings. Because y'all are making Kobe play with Smush Parker. Come on now. I want to look at Phoenix as it applies to this year. Like you said, got the number two seed. Who would have thunk it? But I'm looking at Devin Booker, who I'm not a big fan of. I'll admit. Uh, Two years ago, I think, this video came out where he was in this scrimmage with some other NBA players, and they double-teamed him. And it was a big, like, popular video, but he got super upset 
because they were double teaming him. And he got in this like mini argument with Joachim Noah, who was like, we're here to work on our game. And he's, and Devin Booker was like, that's not helping work on our game. And Joachim Noah said, that's part of the game. And that put a horrible taste in my mouth about Devin Booker. This is not fair to compare anyone to this man, but I, my first thought when I saw that was Kobe would never. That sounds like a joke, but it's like, what's Kobe known for? Above like all else, it's that killer instinct, the Mamba mentality. Devin Booker doesn't have it. I, like, I'm sorry. He's not the type that's like, I'm going to get better by all means. I'm going to be, I'm going to overcome all odds. He's a bucket. Like, don't get me wrong, but... But he's a soft bucket. <laughs> he is a very soft bucket. Now, he came in the league in 2015. Here are his... Here are the Suns' record. Like, year by year, starting with his first year in, his, in the NBA. 23-59, and 24-58, and 21-61, and 19-63, and then last year, 34-39 and in the shortened season. Chris Paul comes along, 51 and 21. What I'm seeing is Chris Paul comes in, team gets better. The reason I'm not putting a ton of pressure on Chris Paul is Chris Paul is the obvious like factor that made this team the two seed in the first place because because Devin Booker wasn't leading them there. So where you're looking at Chris Paul to show up for his legacy's sake, I'm saying Devin Booker, you better not mess this up for him. He's done everything to drag you kicking and screaming into the playoffs. And he's done his part. Can you play Robin to his Batman? Because Chris Paul, I don't think he deserves the MVP trophy, but he's been getting MVP discussion this year. Uh, you weren't getting that, Devin Booker. No one's asking you to be the guy. You just need to be supportive right now. Can you do that? Or are you going to continue to lead your team to defeat? Yeah, for sure. Although, I mean, you said that Kobe and Devin Booker were opposites, but Devin Booker did score 71 in a blowout game that didn't matter, and he got really, he was really proud of himself. Uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. Um, Devin Booker is definitely a talented player. He will never, and maybe, you know, if he proves me wrong, then he proves me wrong. He will never be the number one option on a team that wins the finals. I just don't see that happening. Um, and there is pressure on him because he, he is viewed around the league as this, you know, it, he came into the league extremely young. Um, he's still like, what, like 22 or something crazy like that? 23, I think. Yeah. Um, so he's got a long career ahead of him, but this is the first time, like, and you read out the records before, this is the first time that he's been on a winning team. And the first time he's going to be playing in the playoffs, how will he react? Uh, people will be watching because he is one of those players. If you think about uh, the future of, of the league, he can be forgotten about, but I think a lot of people do view him as, you know, he's going to be the, a big talent moving forward. He already is. But like you said, does he have that mentality? Does he have that drive? And if you're playing with Chris Paul and that doesn't, and it's not really changing how you're approaching the game, and especially after this year, seeing firsthand the difference that it makes, and you're still not willing to just be a part of the team, then I don't know. I don't know what that means for the rest of his career if he's just going to be a Russell Westbrook and just chase stats 
and that's all you really care about, you know? Yeah, and we have a great coach there in Monty Williams, and we have Chris Paul, the leader. I I think there's pressure on both. Yeah, it's just it's just different types of pressure. Like Booker, it's like, what type of player are you going to be? Chris Paul, what type of player are you going to be remembered by? Or like, are you going to be remembered in, in you know, 20, 50 years time? Absolutely. So big pressure on both of these Suns players. But we're going to come back at you in just a minute with some bold predictions that we're going to make about these playoffs. All right, so now we're going to get to the part of the show where we either look like geniuses or fools at the end of the NBA playoffs. This is the part where we each make a bold prediction. When we say bold prediction, we don't go like, eh, this is kind of bold. We're going like full bold here. Uh, So Mike, hit me with your bold prediction for the NBA playoffs this year. We were just talking about the Suns. Let's talk about them a little bit more. You know, when the play-in started, I was like, Okay, so the Suns are going to face either the Lakers or the Warriors. The Suns are losing the first round, guaranteed. Now they're facing the Lakers. Suns are getting swept. Suns aren't pulling a single game out of this series. Lakers in four. We talked about the pressure that's on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and what you said was that Chris Paul is not known for actually winning in the playoffs. And I said Devin Booker has never been there, and it's going to show against a team that's more equipped to make that finals run. Suns aren't pulling a single game out of this one. Wow. That is pretty bold. And what's interesting is that that directly contradicts what my bold prediction is going to be. So if your prediction is right, then mine will be wrong. And that is because my bold prediction for this 2021 NBA playoffs is there will be no sweeps in the entire playoffs. Now, I did some research into this and I couldn't find for, because Google can be annoying sometimes. Uh, I couldn't find whether or not this has ever happened, but if it hasn't happened or if it has happened, it's maybe just happened. Like I, I'm sure it wouldn't have happened more than once or twice. Um, I do have some statistics here. Um, Thanks to NBASweep.com and who happened to track sweeps in the NBA. So, you know, who knows? Uh, Appreciate them for crunching all the numbers. Um, So since 1947, so in the first round, there's a 27.8% chance that there will be a sweep. In the semifinals, 21%. Conference finals, 15.5%. And the finals, 12.3%. So chances are pretty high that we're going to see at least one sweep in the playoffs. But I think with this, again, being still coming kind of out of out of COVID, um, I think there are a lot of pretty good teams. I don't think there is one team in particular that looks like unbeatable. Uh, we just talked about the Celtics potentially being able to upset the Nets. It's not likely. I really hope that the Nets don't sweep the Celtics. Um, I know Mike just said that the Suns are going to get swept by the Lakers, but I think just kind of across the board, um, I'd be I'd be surprised if we saw uh, a sweep this year. Um, 
And, you know, I figure why not just go bold? So, so yeah, so that's where I'm at with my bold prediction is that there will be no sweeps in the playoffs this year. There will always be a game five, at least. I hope you're right. Because unless I hate the team on the losing end of it, I don't like seeing sweeps. Um, one, because I like to see, I love game sevens, first of all. Like, game seven is one of my favorite phrases in the English language. Also, just from a competitive standpoint, if you have, like, let's say going into the conference finals, you have one team swept and they're just sitting around waiting for the next team to finish out their series. They're getting more rest, more time to prepare. Don't really like that. So I hope you're right. I hope there are no sweeps. But sounds like at least one of us is going to be wrong. Exactly. And, you know, that's the that's the fun part about bold predictions. It's not necessarily what we think will happen, but like it could happen. And it'll be interesting if if uh, if either of us are right about our bold predictions. We're going to move right into our next segment, which is making its debut on this podcast called That's Disrespectful. And speaking of bold predictions, something that was pretty dis I mean, very disrespectful to our own Atlanta Hawks was freaking ESPN. It's always ESPN. It's always the stupid media. They had 16 analysts pick who was going to win each series in the playoffs. 14 of them picked the Knicks to beat the Hawks, and two of them picked the Hawks to win. Now, let me remind you, the Knicks and the Hawks had the same record this year in the regular season. The Knicks were only above the Hawks because they did beat them in the regular season, you know, whatever. 14 to 2. And we're trying to say that there's no media bias in seeing New York back in the playoffs for the first time since 2012-2013 season. I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. And then the league has the audacity to find Nate McMillan, who has been an absolute hero for the Hawks this season. They find him $25,000 for pointing out what everyone's thinking. That yes, the media is happy for New York to be back in the playoffs. And yes, it is going to be good for ratings for New York to be back in the playoffs. And then, oh, these these NBA analysts just so happen to pick 14 to 2 for the Knicks to win. When realistically, like, okay, the Knicks are a better defensive team. But what have we been saying? Good offense beats good defense in the playoffs because everyone tries harder on defense. So I'm just, I'm flummoxed. I'm bamboozled. I don't, I, I, I just... I can't get over it. This is ridiculous. All right, now. I have mad respect for what's going on in New York. Okay, I, yeah, okay, okay. I, I will second that. I They've had a good season, but still. Julius Randle is having a career renaissance and deserves all the praise that he's getting. Tom Thibodeau, great coach. He's doing his thing. He's adapted while worldwide West putting this team together. A culture change is happening in New York. And with all the pieces they have there, I respect it. What I don't respect is the blatant disrespect that the Hawks are getting. Nate McMillan, you mentioned him. This is 
who I wanted to be the Hawks coach multiple years ago when we initially hired Lloyd Pierce. I was like praying for Nate McMillan. And look, along he comes. And since taking over, we have the best record in the East, like in that time frame. We were 14 and 20 when they ended up switching from Lloyd Pierce to Nate McMillan. 27 and 11 since then, matching the best record of any team in the Eastern Conference over that span. The Hawks are hot. Okay. Listen, I don't care. I don't expect it to be eight to eight, right? 14 to two, and you're going to tell us there's no bias. No, get out of here with that. You know who else is being disrespected here? Clint Capella is not getting the recognition for being a defensive player of the year candidate. Are you kidding me? He's not going to get those votes. He leads the league in rebounds. Pretty sure he leads the league in blocks. Um, or is like, no, he's top five in blocks. Have y'all forgotten? This is the same guy that was on the Rockets when they were making that playoff push. The Rockets thought Clint Capella was good enough to defend moving on from Dwight Howard to just let Clint Capella operate in the middle. But nowadays in Atlanta, it doesn't matter, does it? No, that's disrespectful. When you're supposed to analyze, take your emotions out of it and look at it for the stats. Look at the players on each team. It just doesn't make sense for the Hawks to be counted out this much by the media. And then, finding the coach for just pointing out that that's what's happening. Because it is what's happening. And I I just, it's all just, you know, gotten under my skin. But I guess we'll just have to see. Hawks and Knicks play on Sunday. I, I do think it'll be a pretty good series. Obviously, I don't think that there will be a sweep involved. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, Julius Randle versus Trey Young. You got Derrick Rose uh, versus Lou Williams. You know, two guys who have been pretty good six men. Um, you know, Derrick Rose has actually had a really good season, to be fair, for the Knicks. Um, and, you know, this isn't against the Knicks. I don't hate the Knicks. I, I appreciate what they've been doing. They've had a really good season. It's just so of the Hawks. The Hawks also weren't necessarily expected to play as well as they have. So let's give some respect to the Hawks as well, because they've they've had just as impressive a turnaround as the Knicks have. I completely agree. Like the thing with Julius Randle is I've watched some of these Knicks games. He's shooting career a career high from three. And no one seems to know. And by that I mean no opposing team seems to care when he shoots a three. Well, when the playoffs come around, that's when teams are reading scouting reports. So Nate McMillan, the great coach that he is, is not going to be allowing those open threes. I think Julius Randle is going to have to work harder than he has all season, like on a game-to-game basis to get what he's trying to get. The Hawks are going to do our thing. We're going to, we're going to run in transition. We're going to outshoot the Knicks, first of all. Yeah, that, that will 100% happen. We're going to out-rebound the Knicks. I'm counting on you, Clint Capella. <laughs> and there's no, yeah, there's no sweep here. But I'm picking the Hawks to win this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got to. I mean, first of all, I, I said take the emotions out of it. Um, my emotions are saying that the Hawks are going to win. But also, if I just look at both of these teams, I do think it'll be close. But the Hawks are finally, I mean, Cam Reddish is still going to be out for this first series. But DeAndre Hunter is 
supposed to be coming back and they'll probably use him on Julius Randle a decent amount. Uh, and DeAndre Hunter was having a, a career year, a breakout year earlier in the season. Finally, Gallinari is healthy. Bogdanovich has been absolutely on fire for the past couple of months. He's been amazing. John Collins is back from his injuries. I mean, the Hawks have dealt with a lot of key injuries to a lot of their players. Um, we haven't even, have we, I think Chris Dunn has played a little bit. The Hawks are finally coming together at the right time. And like we said, since the coaching change, they have the best record in the Eastern Conference. Why can't they make a run? Uh, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying the Hawks are going to win the championship, but they, I think they have the personnel to beat the Knicks and, and move on to the next round for sure. Yeah, I definitely think they have the potential to do it, and here's hoping that they do. Um, maybe we can make those ESPN analysts eat their words. Speaking of eating words, when we come back, we're going to put some people on our coveted hot seat. Or not-so-coveted hot seat. We covet having someone there. They may not covet being here, but we've got one person that's taken the spot this week. Dave, who do we got on the hot seat? We've got none other than Atlanta Braves starting pitcher, Huascar Inoa, which I just, I'm a, I'm a fan of saying that name. I could just keep saying it. So I'm going to. Um, Huascar did something very, very dumb the other day after his start where he had an uncharacteristically poor outing, just a little background. He has kind of came out of nowhere to be the Braves' best pitcher this season. And he's also like hitting home runs randomly. He had a grand slam uh, a little while ago. So he's been a very important piece for him. He had an uncharacteristically bad start and uh, decided to take out his anger on the Braves' bench. Ended up suffering a fractured right hand and will be out for a couple of months. So I think for this segment only... We're going to rebrand the hot seat as the hot bench uh, in honor or lack thereof of Enola's uh, ineptitude. When I was a kid, I would play sports, often not well, so my coaches would always tell me to hit the bench. And this, I don't think, is what they had in mind when they would say that. But evidently, no one told Enola that. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. It's kind of left the Braves in a worse spot as well because they've had some other injuries in their starting rotation, you know, injuries that they didn't self-inflict. So it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I get it. I got mad when I didn't play well at baseball, which happened very often. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so that it's unfortunate. But uh, Huascar has his own spot on the hot bench for this week. As always, with our hot seat, or in this case, hot bench recipients, we'll be posting a link to this story on our social media, which you can follow at Mike and Dave Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And since we're just promoting ourselves, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, why not hit subscribe or follow or whatever the button's called? Uh, we'd appreciate it, and then we'll notify you when uh, we upload the next episode. Um, which you should expect every other Monday. Um, so yeah, so that's been this episode where we previewed the NBA playoffs um, and definitely let us know. Do you think that our bold predictions were absolutely ridiculous? What are your thoughts on the play-in tournament? Do you think Mike is right? Do you think I'm right? Do you have a completely different opinion? Definitely let us know over on our social media. And yeah, we're, we're excited to hear from you guys. 
Feel free to make some bold predictions of your own. The fun thing there is once you post it, it's documented so that you have evidence to say, hey, I was right, or we have evidence to roast you if you are in fact wrong. To be fair, we, we put out our bold predictions of us actually saying it on a podcast. So the least you can do is put yours on, on social media where, I mean, I guess technically you could delete it if you wanted to, but don't be that guy. So yeah, so we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. This has been Dave. And this has been Mike. And this is the Mike and Dave podcast. Podcast.